0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care. A leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plushcare. PlushCare Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: Hello, and welcome to Transplants Take on Sport. My name's Lewis Daniels and my guest today is Team GB in Northern Ireland Transplant Team Manager and former Transplant Coordinator, Lynne Holt. We discuss her experiences of working in organ donation, highlights of managing Team GB in Northern Ireland and the physical and mental benefits of sport post-transplant, as well as how you can get involved in the upcoming event 5k anyway. So if you'd like to find out more about one of our NHS heroes, please stick around for what is a fascinating listen. If you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure you press subscribe or follow wherever you normally listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, all the links will be in the show notes. Lynn Holt, welcome to Transplants Take on Sport. Hello there. Good morning. You've played a key role in the lives of so many people over the years, so many transplant patients. So what was it that led to you becoming the first clinical transplant coordinator in the UK?
2: Well, really, I followed my love life because <laughs> I'm, I was specialising in intensive care down in um, Southampton. I trained up in London at the Middlesex Hospital. But anyway, I was down there um, because a boyfriend was at university there. So I thought I'd go down and do a bit of intensive care and anyway I am um, a, a different boyfriend was going for an interview at Habenbrook, so I thought let's go and look at Papworth because they were advertising for staff in the intensive care so that's how I ended up at Papworth Hospital Royal Papworth Hospital now um, at the very beginning of the transplant program which was very exciting um, and I think in life certainly with me being in the right place at the right time has has really influenced some of my um career and my moves and events that have happened to me it's just being in the right place at the right time the converse is being in the wrong place at the the wrong time but for me it's um the other way and so yes so i started at papworth and i was a very young sister and and the intensive care unit so i came in at number 3 heart transplant that's in the late 70s and um it's a good job you can't see me really on this podcast because you, you think I'm a right old wrinkly but um you might be right but anyway so I got into um transplantation um in the early years um which was amazingly um exciting and challenging and and working with the pioneers of transplantation we had Roy Kahn down the road who was the liver transplant and pancreas transplant. He's the guy who started all of that. So, you know, we're all working uh, closely together in the early days. Um, and especially with heart transplantation, we, we hadn't, um, we, we couldn't stop early acute rejection, because this was the days before cyclosporin came in. And um, we used to see sudden acute death after six hours of being happy and chatting with a normal blood pressure um, but so we we had to work through all of that together and after we the cyclosporine came in in the early 80s then results improved and you know ongoing research helped with a diagnosis of rejection the drugs uh, again new drugs were coming through and we were building up um sort of more experience so Being around in those early days was um, very challenging, but also very exciting. And it was like we were just making our own path through the grass, you know, no one to follow. Apart from Stanford in America, in California, they were the first ones who had, um, you know, they're the ones who did the original research. And Christian Barnard, who's South African, who actually did the first human heart transplant, he trained in California. And so that's where our surgeons went to learn. And as a nurse, um, I felt that we needed to go and find out what um, the Americans did. In fact, I wanted to go primarily to see how they looked after the psychological needs of um, their patients. I thought the Americans were better at this than than us over here. Um, they certainly wrote more about it. But actually, um, <laughs> writing about it and doing it is not always the same and um but i managed to get some funding and i went over to california for a few weeks um just to see how they looked after their patients specifically the psychological care and um i had a great time i learned um all about mexican food and um you know it's a great experience but to be honest um i basically worked out for myself that it's the best care is when you look at the individual needs of that patient and the family, and treat them each as individuals. So not one template fits all. And um, I, I worked that out for myself. Um, but I had a good trip over to Stanford, which was the epicenter of heart transplantation back then, and um, and I've I've kept that as my main um, my main sort of Resource that's how I've worked my whole career really is just looking at the individual needs.
0: Would you say there was a moment that you realized that you wanted to work in organ donation?
2: Well, only because I turned up at Papworth and, um, you know, it was happening, heart transplantation was happening, and I always felt that you know I wanted to specialize in it because I just could see what a difference it, life and death difference it made to these patients and um what a difference to their families and you know it was very um you know at times very draining emotionally and physically and I always sort of you know say that and people who know me well know that tears can be shed and I'm I'm quite I have leaky eyes and um uh, to all sorts of sad, but also very happy occasions. So and um, yeah, crying with the family, and um, when the patient, um, you know, didn't survive long enough to get a, an organ, um, and being part of that and trying to provide support and and trying to make a difference so that we could get the word out and um, save more lives. And you know, one feels so helpless. Um, when you see your patients dying waiting for that organ that never appeared in time waiting for that phone to ring which never rang and um so i'm sure that resonates with many people who have been on a waiting list and the desperate um and the you know just the the feelings of you're going to die before something turns up and and then the guilt feelings waiting for someone to die which i've always tried to emphasise that that person would die anyway and it's not for you because they didn't want to die. Um, But the fact is that their death and their conversation, hopefully with their family, um, had facilitated uh, saving many lives. And so the guilt feeling of waiting for someone to die should be changed into just to wait for when someone dies that they will donate, and there's a bit of a difference there. Um, but anyway that's why I got involved really it was a no-brainer for me Um, it was it was new it was challenging I was learning we were all learning together all of the time and um, yeah certainly we um, used up all my um, and and created more skills for me from you know a great mix really of clinical and organization and management and communication and just helped me grow as a a person learning through all these amazing patients and their families as well teaching me humility and teaching me how precious life is I mean I always knew that but I think working for so many well the main part of my life I've been involved with donation and transplantation so for me every day is a bonus one of my transplant patients told me that way back that's what he used to say and you know he was so right every day is a bonus so I've learned so much from being in this role although my role changed over the years but way back in the early days of um, transplantation in the early 80s um, you know it, it was it was the only thing I wanted to do and I, I love being part of a team as well. And working in that environment, you're very much part of a big team. So all of us are really important in the team. And um, I loved playing my little part in it.
0: You alluded to it there. You've seen the high, the highest of highs and the lowest of the lows. How does it feel to see a successful transplant and somebody have their life saved and be able to move on and get a second chance?
2: I am. Um, it's... I feel so lucky that I can see these special times in people's lives. Um, So lucky, um, you know, just phoning people up, you know, when I moved on with my job to coordinate the transplants, phoning them up to say, we've got a possible organ donor for you. Um, And that phone call is amazing.
0: Special feeling.
2: Um, And, I always used to sort of just suss them out first and see how they were. And then they used to think I'd just phone for a chat. And then I was quite often having to interrupt them to say, listen, can I just interrupt here? Because I did need to get to the point because the clock was ticking. But um, so making that phone call is very special. And um, taking them to theatre, I always, you know, used to stay in the anaesthetic room till they'd gone to sleep. So I could uh, feed back to the the family or whoever they had waiting on, you know, how they were. And that was a very personal time. Quite often that's when they wanted to say, oh, tell her I love her. And I said, well, I'll tell her, but you can tell her when you wake up. But I'll tell her for now. And just being part of that, because that's quite a scary time for most patients. They want the transplant, but at the same time, a mixture of fear, apprehension, excitement is the patient's feelings. Um, from what I'm told and what I've observed. And um, so, yeah, so and then when they wake up, certainly it depends. I mean, I'm my experiences, heart and lungs um, in babies and adults. So to see some of them, um, I'd loved it. They'd be blue before the heart transplant. And when they woke up and were off the ventilator and could, you know, were awake, properly awake, that they would be looking at their fingers like a baby because they were pink and not blue anymore. And just watching them, maybe they didn't know you were there and they were just, you know. And we used to have a mirror that we'd let them say, do you want to have a look at your lips, You know, have a look at your face just to see your lips are pink now. And it was just the wonderment in their eyes. It's pretty amazing. The lung transplants, when they came off the breathing machine, the ventilator, and they could breathe on their own without all that, yucky stuff in their chest and in their old lungs and that was wonderful so many so many wonderful things to see I must say um like I say I'm just really lucky that I've been privileged to share all these
0: moments really one of the NHS heroes when I was going through my kidney transplant process it was a live donor rather than a cadaveric one which some listeners will know but I had the transplant coordinator saved in my phone as transplant coordinator and your eyes light up when you see that call. I know, I knew it wasn't going to be for, we've got one, you've got to come now. But just the confirmation that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yes, it's a match, we're going ahead, this is the date, it is, it is special. And I've always wondered what it's like from the other end, which you've summed up quite well there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So you've been there since the start of heart and lung transplantation. What does a typical day involve, day to day? I know it might be difficult to say because of the the nature of the job and how organs can come in quickly what would yeah, a typical day involve? And how has that job changed over time from when you first started to when you've retired? Well,
2: once I moved up to um, Newcastle, which was in the late 80s, at uh, the end of 86, I came up here to help them set up their heart transplant programme. We we were the third government's funded centre after there was Papworth and then Harefield and then Newcastle. So I came up, up north Um, And I've never left um, because I love it up here. But um, as far as the job, it was a mix of everything. Trying to coordinate the program involved a lot more than, um, you know, it was education, but not just for patients coming through for assessment. It was really just, I suppose, being part of that whole transplant journey, which started from the referral of a very ill patient needing assessing to getting them through, making contact, having them in, being part of the decision-making, whether they could have a transplant or not, whether it was safe for them or not, and then listing, keeping in contact on the waiting list, which could be days or years, and keeping in contact with that family and the patient through the whole journey till either they got their transplant and afterwards or if they died waiting. And, you know, there's some of my families I kept in touch with for quite a few years after that patient had died waiting for the transplant. Um, But anyway, that um, so support, education, trying to find aeroplanes in the middle of the night is not easy on New Year's Eve when I'd find a plane but I didn't find a sober pilot so because all (laughs) of these um, planes are just private companies it's not you know we don't phone up British Airways um or you know we're just looking for any plane we've had little planes that deliver newspapers to all the Channel Islands who said I can come when I've delivered the newspapers Um, we'll go and pick up the heart for you and bring it up to you, you know. So when he brought the heart, when I got the heart on that trip, I did ask if he'd brought me a newspaper because I figured there (laughs) might have been an extra one on on board. But anyway, so um, looking for planes and transport, road transport, um, and with different, um, you know, with in the early days, you'd have one donor of a heart and all you had to do was bring in one patient and find one plane organize the retrieval team to send them off in another plane you know if that was the case they had to go by plane or by road and and then you know that was easy in the it was just an easy one patient one organ but as the years go on, we ended up with the lung transplant program. So we could have a patient coming in for the heart, another one for a single lung, and, and a third patient for the other single lung. So you had a lot of patients. Uh, tissue typing came into it, so you might bring backup patients in case the one you want to do, it, it, it didn't work out. So I had patients all over. the. I have had three planes in the air at, at one time, just... um juggling the planes and the patients and obviously trying to find beds in the hospital is always a challenge having theater space um you know when i used to go in to say you know we're hoping to do a heart and we might do a single lung you know they'd sort of look at me and so when i used to just ask to do one transplant you know oh it's just a heart you know it it, it was like that was just the easiest thing you know um which uh, they weren't used to and so yeah, it got more complex with um, different mixes of organs and different um, challenges with tissue typing, which came in more and more. And um, what well, the main thing was we didn't want to waste those organs. Yeah, We wanted to maximise the use of what we had been offered, this amazing gift. When I get that phone call from the donor coordinator or the snod, as they call themselves now, to say, you know, we have a blood group O, 16 year old you know from wherever southampton say um give me the height and the weight normally and that's and then i would say if i had a recipient and we always normally have a recipient uh for any blood group and any size um and then you know there's more phone calls and discussing management of the donor and um and looking at the waiting list to decide which one would be best suited um so that um, that got more busy as the years went on, very busy because we were getting more donors during the night. So we'd be running different donors at the same time, depending on how many theatre slots I could get. And if it went on into the morning, that was good because then a, a new team would be coming in um, because there's only one on call team um, at nighttime and then one team to go out on retrievals. So if you had several retrievals, it was trying to just phone up people, goodwill, and say, look, would you be available to go out on a um, a retrieval because I've got two going and we want to use all these organs. So that's um, how the transplant programs have existed since the beginning of time is relying on goodwill of the, the, the team um, and because there's never enough people, but we wanted to optimize the use of all the donors um, organs. And so it's great when we get more donor offers, but it's actually having the resource and the facilities to be able to use them. And at the end of the day, if you don't have the intensive care bed to put the patient in, because with heart and lungs, they have to go into intensive care as do the livers Um, then we can't accept that organ. So then it will get offered, hopefully, to another transplant centre. And even Europe, some organs get offered to Europe if we can't uh, utilise for whatever reason. Normally resourced, not normally because we don't have a patient. So it's got much busier over the years. And lots of uh, nights, no sleep, mostly probably two nights a week there would be no bed never went to the bed it never got home that's the way it was but to get a transplant done or several done at the end of that it it kept the adrenaline going and it was worth it if the organs were deemed um unsuitable uh, unusable because the function wasn't good enough that was so disappointing firstly having spent hours and hours setting it all up and bringing in patients, um, but also for that donor family who had offered everything and then we couldn't use sometimes because of the function and the brain death can cause damage to these organs and then having to tell the patients that it's not proceeding. And if they've been called in several times and they think this is my last opportunity. So there's so much disappointment and, and, you know, that's, that was the bit I hated. I didn't mind being up all night and all the next day when we did the transplants, but it was so soul destroying for everyone when it didn't
0: proceed. It sounds like a a busy and stressful job that requires unbelievable organization, organizational skills and determination and you mentioned sometimes not being able to go to bed or get home Mm -hmm. what did you do to switch off and relax
2: um well when I did get home um I normally I'd try and get sleep and um and that wasn't difficult (laughs) normally I could sleep anywhere at any time um I, I have four I you know four children they're all sort of five years and to baby. So four children, five years and under. So, you know, those kept me um, busy when I wasn't working. Um, I, I think that's um, that probably helped, you know, a bit of wine occasionally, a bit of exercise, <laughs> socialising, all the things everybody does to relax. Um, and I, I used to have to cram everything into the, the short time I had. So I would never say no to anything. We did, you know, I've always um, probably, you know, overdone everything um, in every extreme because I could.
0: Yeah. So over the course of your career that has spanned
2: 35 years as a transport coordinator? Um, Yeah, maybe. Maybe if that's what you say yes i think, I think so. it's on, on my see. notes
0: down here somewhere
2: yeah i was yeah yeah well i'm retired i've been retired five years plus so yeah i think um i was in the nhs for about 41 years total and most of that was transplants really so
0: over those years what would you say are your career highlights oh
2: um my career well, I think being around for all the firsts, you know, the, um, when we did the first heart-lung transplant at um, Papworth, you know, that was amazing. We didn't know if she was going to breathe when we took her off the ventilator. Um, and then in Newcastle with the first baby heart transplant, um, she, she was the first successful baby heart transplant. She wasn't the first baby heart transplant, but the first one to survive in uh, the country, uh, Kaylee. And um, then we did double lungs, and that was you know, every every new uh, procedure um, was really exciting to be involved and be part of it. So I think, you know, those are all things which I um, will remember and cherish um, for a long time. I mean, you know, there's various different, um, a lot of professional stuff going on and presentations, quite a bit of travel involved, um, meeting others from around the world, um, I was at a conference somewhere, and I remember that's a bunch of Chinese coordinators talking about how um, they used to have the prisoners and shoot them, and then they would take their organs. And, you know, they you realise how lucky we were to live in this country and in the Western civilised world when all this is going on. And so... um. It was fascinating to hear about all the other practices, but um, not so much fascinating about that. It was horrendous, and we couldn't believe it. The whole bar went quiet. Actually, <laughs> in the bar. most conferences, you learn more afterwards. Um, you know, in the bar from all the other countries and colleagues, <laughs> and uh, you know, mixing and um, with everyone. Uh, that's how you learn most things, I think, in in life. Um, And in the hospital, in the corridors, most things happen in corridors and hospitals. Um, Yeah, but yes, I've been... And I'm really feeling humbled here, um, Lewis, because I, your podcast, I've listened to so many amazing... You know, people have been touched by organ donation and transplantation personally and, you know, what they've all gone through. And I'm just a casual observer of all of this because I've not had a family experience of anyone needing a transplant or or, or you know, or donation as such, you know. So I feel a bit of an outsider lurking around, um, but being very happy about it that um I could play a little part in in the whole transplant journey. Um so but thank you because I I feel really humbled to be here because I haven't got the same t-shirt as the rest of your guests.
0: It's a pleasure to have you on. I think everyone who listens and everyone who's been involved with transplants in some way, whether you've had one or a family member or friend of someone who's had one, is so grateful for the work that you and the other transplant coordinators and all the other members of the transplant team, which is a big team at each hospital, all the work they do is amazing and a lot of us owe our lives and second chance to it. So thank you from everyone. You got involved so much with transplants that I can tell that you you love the work you do, that you actually got involved with the sport side of transplants. How did you first get involved with the Transplant Games and Transplant Sport as an organisation?
2: Um, I was uh, at Papworth um, in the early 80s and I bumped into an ex-colleague in the cor- corridor, back to the corridors again, and he was, um, I thought he was... Visiting for there were some uh, interviews going on, and he'd come to visit his father, who was actually a patient of mine in the unit, uh, which I was unaware of. I did have a Lord, uh, the patient. I did have a patient called a Lord, but I didn't realize Martin's father was a Lord. So anyway, he had left Southampton where we'd worked together, and he'd moved, I think, to Manchester where they'd actually staged the British Games in the early eighties. Um, 1980, I think it was, because uh, they started 78 in Portsmouth, and they were there for a couple years, and then Birmingham and Manchester were the next couple places to stage these games. So I, um, I think he he said to me, "Hey, why don't you take some heart transplants to the um, to the British transplant games?" Yeah, it was Manchester was 81. That was it, and um, I said, "Oh, what are these? What's all this about?" And that's how I got involved. So the next year was 1982, Cardiff, the British Transplant Games. I took four heart transplants there. And those are the first hearts to go to the British Transplant Games. It had all been kidneys up till then. And then a few liver transplants came in um, around that same time, um, which was amazing. And, um, we, um, and I communicated with Harefield because they were up and running by then. And said to them, "Why don't you take some heart transplants?" Because we hadn't started lung transplants, and that's how I got involved. And then Morris Slapak, the well, he's the founding president of the Games. He um, he asked me to just go onto their committee as the heart advisor, and that's sort of how I got involved on the um, sort of the committee side. Um, and I used to be the team manager of the Papworth team. So when I left Papworth, the obvious was to um, start a team up at the freeman hospital which is what i did and um so yeah that's how it happened really and then uh, eventually at some point i ended up uh, being asked i took some transplants to the world games um and way back in the early days of the world transplant games the team manager then uh, amazing chap peter griffin um he he was a renal surgeon in fact and he sort of He was quite picky and he didn't want to take heart transplants for some reason. I think he thought maybe they wouldn't excel in sport and win any medals. And so um, I took some to Amsterdam in um, 1984, that was. And um, I just took some guest competitors because you could take guest competitors. Um, They weren't on the so-called GB team, but they were guest competitors And so I took them and, um, yeah, so that's how I sort of started to get involved with the World Games. And and then um, I went again and took some more guest competitors who turned out to be quite handy um, to make up relay teams in the pool. Um, And so eventually um, I managed to get the heart transplants to be looked at as that they can actually do sport, they can actually compete. And some of them can excel because they train regularly and they they've got really good high standard in the sport that they've chosen, as we've seen over the years, throughout the whole history. Now, so that's how I got involved, and um, I think it was uh, yeah eighty nine. I was the assistant team manager for um, for the team, and that was Singapore. I just had my first baby; she was six months old, so. I had to take her with me, and that was fine. And um, my mother came and looked after her, while I helped manage the team, which was tiny compared to the team sizes that we have now. Um, but and now we have more uh, diverse organ transplants involved, and because um, back then it was mainly kidneys, um, with a couple hearts thrown in and a couple livers. But obviously now we know we have. Uh, small bowel transplants we have bone marrow transplants now we have the pancreas kidneys as well as the double lungs single lungs etc and routine kidney and routine hearts you know because so we've added lots more and now we include live donors and deceased family donors as well so you know that's um opened up uh events are um not just at the british games but at the worlds as well so yes many changes over the years but all good to promote awareness and publicity because every single transplant um person has an amazing story to tell and and it's getting those stories into the press which um, sometimes
1: even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten
2: by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or Zepbound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care
2: it's not easy but um, they certainly over the years that has improved and um, that's my reason really for continuing with this is that's the way to make a difference is to get the message out and the only way to get the message out is to have people know what's going on by whichever means whether it's radio tv the written word or podcasts
0: (laughs) <laughs> it's nice to hear how much it's grown over the years and how more people have come together as this big family to help raise awareness for organ donation, which is is key. And mm-hmm. you always hear that's the reason behind it. That's why we're doing it. Make more people aware of it. And I think the the media and press side is working because I first heard about the transplant games in it'll have been I think it was twenty eighteen or nineteen. It was before my transplant, mm-hmm. but my my grandma had seen coverage of it on on TV. I think it was. Was it in Newcastle around then?
2: 2015, we had it in Newcastle. I'm trying to think where it was. Well, we've had it in Newcastle several times, British Games, but we had um, the World Games in 2019 in Absolutely.
0: Newcastle.
2: Yeah, so the Worlds were in Newcastle. So was that your auntie who saw that?
0: My grandma saw it on the news. Oh, your grandmother. This coverage mm-hmm. of the World Transplant Games in Newcastle. And I said, yeah. oh. What do you think about doing this in the future? And it's something I'm hoping to do once we're allowed to do it again and, uh-huh. and get outside, get involved. It looks like a great event to be at.
2: Yeah. So the, the, um, the next big event for all our transplants who have come through since 2019, um, it's certainly, hopefully, we can be encouraging um, all of the transplant units to um, – get them to come to next year's British Transplant Games, which will be in Leeds. Um, We've missed last year and this year, although there will be some satellite events later this year, which is, we've always had satellite events, but um, there's, you know, that's going to be released fairly soon, that information, by the end of this month to the dates and venues and the sports, to satellite, which will be a safe way of getting back to seeing people. Once, Once we're allowed to see people, that's all very well, but there's many people who have not left their homes and are finding it very scary, the thought of leaving home. So we're hoping by the end of the year with vaccinations, everyone's hopefully had their vaccinations and infection rate hopefully has dropped or continues to drop and we are just a small satellite event with one sport so it's just you know it's not a big crowd of people but it's one sport probably outside to begin with those sort of sports Um, and then people can come and go the same day if they want to stay in a hotel that's up to them to decide but to make it accessible so that people can have a chance to see their transplant family do a bit of a sport um, and start getting used to going out again. Um, so always we have to think of safety, but the satellite events seem to be the way forward this year. So that's really, it will be exciting. And um, we're hoping that this is actually going to be a realistic um, um, sort of uh, events that we will be able to stage this year.
0: Hopefully they can go ahead. And while we're on the topic of looking ahead about the Transplant Games and the the media and press side that you've mentioned, we had a listener question in on Twitter. Uh, if you want to send in any listener questions, if you follow Transplant Take on Sport on social media, Instagram and Facebook are at Transplant Take on Sport Pod, and Twitter is at Ttos Pod. Before I record with each guest, I'll put a post up on there asking for any questions you might have for them. Let you know who they are. Uh, so please do get involved, send any questions. It's always nice to have somebody else's thoughts. It might trigger something else that I haven't thought of. So we had one in this week from Eric. And he says, what can be done to raise the profile on an excellent Transplant Games and Team GB athletes' achievements?
2: Um, well, get back out there, really. And, um, you know, there's a wealth of stories to um, tell. Engaging with the the sports, the governing sports bodies um, as well um, seems to be, um, which we do, and we need to do more of once we're out there again. Because um, engaging with the governing bodies, and I know um, Eric and basketball, he's, um, you know, that's the best way of of being able to bring in our transplant um, athletes and have the mainstream people so and many of our athletes are engaged with their local sports governing bodies so that's something which um, gets the message out there into their magazines their social media Um, so you know one person can make an enormous amount of difference just by doing that Um, yes getting into national press and tv that's something which continues to be a way of communicating the message and you know it's having um, there is a PR company involved with um, the British Games which hopefully will help put that message out but for me I don't want to wait for that any opportunity and we've had opportunities in lockdown to get the message out and we've used those opportunities Um, so it's, it's trying to get that message out that the GB and um, Northern Ireland athletes, we um, they all know that when they're selected onto the team that um, PR is so important and vital and we always produce press templates that, for their story um, to share with their local press as well as um, we get it shared with the other nationals as well. Um, social media is great but if all your friends are uh, sympathetic anyway towards transplantation. It's going out and beyond your own and sharing it with the non-transplant family um, through LinkedIn and Instagram, etc. etc. So but some people um are not keen or confident to s- tell their story. Um, for me, I think you know everyone is who's had the transplant are the lucky ones. But for me, I'm doing this for the ones on the waiting list, the 6,000 plus on the waiting list. And I do try and remind people that that is the reason that we want to have a great team and win medals um, is to get the story out there so that hopefully we can help reduce the pe- the number of people on the waiting list. Um, it's, it's fine to be alive and to be fit and able to do, take part in sport, but... For for us at Transplant Sport, promoting the benefits of transplant is obviously very important, but it's also promoting organ donation. And that's because we have a long waiting list of patients waiting. Um, So that's why we do this. That's why all volunteers are involved, because they want to make a difference. However small difference between us, we can make an enormous difference. I don't know if that's answered Eric's question, um, but that's what um, needs to continue to happen.
0: Hopefully that can continue and we can cut the waiting list down and help more people see the benefits that organ donation can have. It, it is amazing what it can do and just restore, restore your life, really.
2: Well, I think you've, hearing your podcasts, you certainly um, had uh, people speaking, you know, as to what a difference sport has made to their lives. And um, just giving them confidence again and increasing self-esteem. And it's wonderful to see the difference. Uh, And certainly when we have our juniors and seeing them sort of transition into the adult um, age category um, and just to see what a difference it's made to so many people's lives and confidence and esteem. Just being able to um, have the support to do things that they've never done before, many of them. So some of our athletes have were fit before transplant and and very serious athletes. And some of them become enormously fit and skilled um, since transplant, having never done it before. Um, so, you know, we have grassroots to elite in this organisation, and everyone is just as important as the other. It's being together and the taking part, which really is most important. Medals are great, and they do sell stories. The press like a medal, so medals are really good way of and and you know Team GB is is not backward in coming forward on winning medals. That's for sure. Um, But for me, if everyone can do their best and they've trained and um, achieved the best of their ability, then that's that's amazing that they're here to do that.
0: So you mentioned earlier on that you, you were the assistant manager of Team GB in Northern Ireland. You then became the manager of Team GB in Northern Ireland. What does your role involve with the team? Well,
2: it's um, I have to say, when I started volunteering with Transplant Sports so many years ago, I never realised how many more skills I would need to acquire and learn. Um, spreadsheets, I've never spent so much time on spreadsheets as I have managing this team um so from sending out the letters cuz i have to yeah we don't have anyone in the organization to do it for us um so sending out the letters and managing all the admin side um the there's all the finance side trying to raise some money um there's so admin finance um Sourcing kit. I mean, I'm quite good at delegating, so I have an amazing management team that help. And um, Barry, my assistant, who has been up till um, fairly recently, um, I don't really like to call him that because he's my right hand man. Although he's retiring now, um, so that's going to be a whole new ball game for me. And um, so, having you know, we've got junior manager now. We've got young adults manager. We've got coaches. A few coaches, not many. Everybody's volunteering, so they're doing it in their own time. And the uh, captains are the actual transplant athletes. So we managed to delegate for communication. Communication is always the key. I think my day job coordinating transplants has helped me coordinate Team GB um, and juggle all the balls. Um, And then the medical side of it, trying to make sure they're safe. So I've got two medics who also volunteered to keep an eye on the team but th- that's um, an enormous amount of work with all the different medical forms and um yeah and then organizing training days and it's um yes communication is is probably that takes the most time um but it's worth it so you know but we do need more help with it and um you know, succession planning is important. I have put out over the years, if anyone wants to be involved on the management team side, then they need to come and they need to get in touch. Um, and certainly next World Games are in 2023, hopefully. Um, So we need to raise loads of money for that. And every athlete has to raise their own money. Um, and we do produce loads of... Templates and fundraising letters, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to help people, but um, it it is um, hard work, and quite a few don't go because they just haven't got the money to go. But any money we raise, we can um, help with um, a few people to help give them a little bit of support. But it's something which is a financial burden, and certainly the junior teams, those parents, I know they're thrilled their child's been selected well, they're teenager mainly, but then it hits them, the reality of paying for yeah. three people instead of just one person. So, um, yeah, I, it's just a mix of those sort of skills, really. Being on email a lot at all times, um, mainly at night time. Um, yeah, communicating is
0: the main thing, I think. Communication is key with, I think, yeah, pretty much everything we do.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm trying to keep in touch. Keeping in touch with um, other transplant sport um, members, and because there's all sorts of different issues that come up, and just listening to them sometimes, and um, helping helping to signpost maybe in the right direction as well. Because um, I can, I don't, I don't know a lot, but I normally know somebody who does. So it's not what I know, but it's who I know. Um, which I think has become very evident with these Zoom quizzes since lockdown. I think people have been were quite surprised at how useless I am at quizzes, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know that anyone will believe that I ever did have a day job of any description when they <laughs> realize how how useless I am doing um, the Zoom quizzes. I blame it on the quiz masters, of course, its <laughs> questions. <costumes>, but <laughs> yeah,
0: what would you say are your highlights as a manager of Team GB?
2: Um, Well, I can't remember much anymore. I think I've been living in the day for so long now and not looking behind me and just looking forward till tomorrow maybe. Um, I can remember 2019 and it was amazing to be parading through the streets of Newcastle because this is where I live now and that was wonderful um, having a team of, I think we had about 330 and we had live donors and... Uh, deceased donor families and that was very special. Very, very special that. Um I'm sure there's other special things. Um did I write some things to you? I, I remember telling you some things and I can't remember what I said anymore.
0: But um You said you uh leading the most fantastic and and successful team in the world and as you said they're parading with three hundred and thirty plus G B transplant athletes live and deceased donor families through Newcastle, which of course is is where you've spent a lot of your time working yeah
2: yes that's great you, you've you've summed that up nicely lewis <laughs>
0: <laughs> i told you i can't remember anything but um pride of britain sports event of the year award for transplant sport 2016 yeah we won that that was after the games in liverpool the british
2: games um yeah you know there's so much um Hard work goes into staging the British Games and thank goodness we've had MLS, um, our event managers, um, guiding us over the last, oh, I don't know, 10 to 15 years. Um, Somehow we managed before then, Um, but, you know, with them and with the partners in the city where we go and Liverpool was amazing. The support we got there, we had amazing publicity there, donor families meeting their recipient for the first time sitting on the sofa and BBC and and ITV, you know, there's great publicity. And yes, to win that award, um, seeing all the hard work come to, you know, fulfillment, it was wonderful to um and a few of us managed to go and accept the award in some hotel in London. And that was fun as well. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but it was um it, it, it we I think you know Transplant Sport and the British Transplant Games, the Westfield Health British Transplant Games um, as they are, um, and they, and they were in Liverpool also, um, thankfully for the support of um, our major sponsors, um, we um, continue to survive, but, um, you know, it's hanging on at the bottom of the ladder sometimes with the fingernails, trying to get through to the, you know, to be able to stage these events and keep the charity going. But um, amazingly, it's still surviving after 40 plus years, um, mainly thanks to volunteers, you know, the trustees are volunteers. So, you know, it's not as though um, we're a big charity, we're not.
0: So over the years, you've seen plenty of transplant athletes benefiting from sport and getting back to doing what they love to do. What would you say are the benefits of sport post-transplant, both physically and mentally?
2: Um. But it affects both you can't um you, you can't have one without the other um so the the being able to exercise after being so seriously ill um is so important, and I think people need to know that anything is better than not doing anything you know and I think for many the mental health affects their physical ability um And it can work the other way if the physical ability or disability in some cases can affect the mental health. Um, But if you can work on both, um, life can only get better. And I think the ones during lockdown who have managed to go out because they know they weren't going to catch anything outside, those ones who managed to get out and do some exercise, and all of us are only allowed an hour at the moment to go out and exercise. But as long as we do it um, and just get some fresh air, whichever form, you know, the swimmers, for instance, bless them, you know, they've that swimming pools have been shut most of the year, but they've been jumping in lakes and jumping in the sea and, you know, just to get into the water. Um, and it's cold, but exhilarating. So all those people who've managed to do it. I hope for the ones who haven't managed to do it that they will start to, you know, take baby steps back into having a bit more confidence to do it soon, um, because it it will only get better if people can get themselves outside and the good weather's coming again. Um, so I think um, it's it's taken everyone's taken a bit of a beating, um, and I think mental health issues have got worse for those who had them anyway. And for those people who never had any, they have for the first time experienced uh, a little bit, some of them. Um, but it's talking and it's always snowing that they can contact. <clears throat> I think the ones who um, can talk to, and get it off their chest, that, that helps um, them not. And I hope that the transplant sport family have been able to provide each other's support throughout um and i know you know many of the team managers and many others have had their ways of helping their own teams etc so um but i think the message is there's always somebody to listen and you just need to pick up the phone or drop and ne- drop a message and um, most of us are available on the social media contacts and um, or can be found um if if they, if people
0: need that, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It's so important to talk. Kind of over the last, the last year, it's been difficult at times, and talking has helped. It does clear your clear your mind and give you a bit of a blow off, if, if that makes sense to listeners. Um, and then getting out for a, even just a walk or a, a run, mm-hmm. or I've been using resistance bands in the house a bit of an indoor workout sort of thing it does help mentally and i can remember last summer when the cases were really low and when we were allowed to do so i got out for a couple of socially distanced cricket sessions with a few people Mm -hmm. and the benefit the mental benefit of that just to have a bit of a hit and bowl a ball and blow off some steam was incredible so i'm looking forward to doing that again this summer
2: I look forward to hearing about the cricket, the transplant cricket uh, club to see um, what you're getting up to next, because that's a great sport to be involved with. And um, so, you know, and I think there's something going to be going on in the Headingley as well. Uh, mainstream cricket um, this summer. So um, where we've got an opportunity to promote organ donation. So oh, nice. wow. that's one of the, yes,
0: yes. Fingers crossed. So,
2: yeah, yeah. So um, that the cricketers will, will, Get to hear about that um, fairly soon, I hope. But um, yeah, we've got the five k um Virch, because the World Games have been cancelled in Houston. Um, we've all now got the opportunity to do something um, to, to to aim towards, and the five k anyway, which has been promoted on social media, transplant sports sites, but um, it it needs more promotion. Is that we can all enter and do anything 5k anyway so i mean i'm going to walk it cuz i don't like running um really i can jog but um you, you know people can do whatever they want swimming cycling i don't you know they have worked out how how many um steps and how many kilometers that all these sports can do Um, and you can compete or you can just do it to be part of it so um, people can enter as part of their team where did you get your transplant lewis
0: it was in liverpool but i'm now with sheffield
2: that's it i I thought sheffield came into it so you have a choice of joining the sheffield team or the liverpool team but um, normally it's quite good to be as local to where your care is because normally you'll have social get-togethers yeah you know so being part of a team near you uh some transplants they're scattered around the country some of the heart and liver teams you know they they are scattered but um the 5k anyway is is open for registration and and you can you know join as a team you can make up your own team if you want but i think having your own team you know the British, uh, te- you know, the transplant games teams will be good. There'll be a transplant sport team, but otherwise it'll be all the hospital teams as we know it for the British games. And as we're not having the British games, I think um, this is a great opportunity for people. It does. You have to pay and um, when don't you. But it's only um, well, it's in American dollars, but it's twenty five dollars. I think it's about 18 pounds to register but if you get five people registered you get yours back or something so financially it's not a big cost you know you're not having to pay for accommodation or travel (laughs) so it's quite a cheap way of being part of a, a world event and sharing pictures and everything and there's going to be a big closing ceremony i'm hoping a few of our our lot will be involved um it's going to be at nasa and i think they're pulling in all some various celebs, and um, so there's going to be a great closing, um, online closing event. Um, So, yeah, it'd be great if people want to, um, you know, talk to their friends, because anyone can do it, friends and family. You don't have to have had a transplant. That's why I'm doing it, you see, because I've not had a transplant. So it'd be good. And it's good for me.
0: It's a good event to look forward to and something that people can get involved with, try and encourage their friends, as you said, non-transplant recipients as well, anyone to get involved. When I found out about it and the fact that you could do it any way you like, my brain went to the strange place that it sometimes does to think of unique ways of doing it. So trying to travel 5K in not exactly a quick time, but different ways. So yesterday I had a look and worked out the distance from the distance you'd throw a dart from and how far I'd have to travel to pick it up. Uh, and if you're going one way, so we've got, one way is 2,110 darts. So if you want to do that, you can throw over 2,000 darts and do your 5K that way. I thought of myself, um, I, my garden's about 20 meters and I've got a little cricket feed machine. So I was going to hit the ball to the back fence and walk backwards and forwards to get it and do it That's that way. Good way. Mm-hmm. So just trying to think of different ways that might be unusual Absolutely. and get creative with it.
2: Well, I think that's a great idea, Lewis, especially the cricket one, because that's just up your street as well, isn't it? But um, it's it's basically anyone can do something and be part of it. And I think that is what's most important here. And hopefully um, we'll all um, be together, um, you know, soon, later this year, in little groups at least. Um, So um, anything that will motivate us to get to get a bit fitter, do something and be part of an enormous world team with everybody doing different things. It'll be great fun. You know what they, you know, the Chinese and the Hong Kong team, they're, they're amazing. They, they're they so fun and they do, um, they were really good in the billion step challenge. I don't know how many did that. Um, we walked to the moon and back, all of us in the world. Um, we walked even further than that cuz we kept going and um, cuz we haven't reached the deadline but um and that was great fun to see all the different photographs people were posting where they were doing their walking around the world and so we can see your garden and you doing your cricket for instance <laughs> and that would be really cool you know cuz lots of people in other countries don't even have a garden i mean i know people in england and scotland and wales and ireland don't have a garden but um you know to see green for many of the other countries is very unusual so um, it'd be great yeah thank you for mentioning it um, i hope people will go onto the website and um, uh, click the link on the transplant sport uh, web uh, facebook even uh, it's been there so um and and get in touch if there are any queries and simon simon elmore one of your previous guests he's he's been involved with you know he's he's there to to, um help support as well if um
0: people have got any queries and the 5k anyway is raising money for the fit for life global program could you explain a bit more about that what it is they do okay so the
2: um so the the 5k anyway the registration actually is for houston um the organizers just you know to to contribute to the cost of them organising this event, um, but they are, they, they're going to be giving teddy bears to children's hospitals in the US. If people want to fundraise for the World Transplant Games Federation, then that's the money. If you choose to fundraise for, for the World Transplant Games Federation, that's the money that they will be putting into their Fit for Life programme um, and um, I understand um, uh, organizing um, events for for children, um, but the Fit for Life program has existed anyway with the World Federation, and it's just um, a program really after transplant just to help start getting fit. Um, and and it's worth checking out the World Federation website to to read more about that.
0: Lynn, thank you so much for coming on today and having a chat. I think people will learn a lot from you with the being, I suppose, the other side of the transplant process, the the medical side, seeing what it's like for you day to day as you watch people go through life-changing operations. So thank you on behalf of everyone listening for the work you've done over the years and the amount of people's lives you've transformed and helped to change. And thank you for being part of the vaccination team in the current situation.
2: You're welcome. Thank you so much for running these podcasts, Lewis.
0: It's been great. I'm very much enjoying it. Good. One more question before we go. Uh, so from, as we said, the other side of the, the transplant, what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone facing a transplant?
2: Um, trust your team because uh, there's nothing else you can do is trust, than trust your team and and try and believe in yourself that you can get through it. And there's lots of people to help you get through it.
0: I've experienced firsthand the team they're very good and it mentally there's support there as well there's always someone to talk to and from my experience anyway I hopefully you'd agree no problems too big.
2: Absolutely I agree with you there Lewis Um, and for all of our all of our members and for those who are struggling and have got other health issues you know we're all there for you and you just have to As you say, just um, talk and someone will be there to listen if you need that.
0: Lynn, thank you so much again. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Listeners, if you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure you subscribe or follow wherever you're normally listening, whether that's Apple, Google, Spotify, Acast, Amazon, or even on my website, lewisdaniels.co.uk. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, as I said before, that is the most used app to listen to the podcast so if you could go on there and rate it five stars and give it a five-star review, that'd be hugely appreciated. it mean a lot to me as it really does help more people see it and discover it on there. And hopefully we can spread the word and help more, raise more awareness for organ donation. Uh, any five-star reviews as I've done before, I will read out on the podcast at the end. So please go ahead and do that. If you're not enjoying it, please tell your friends you did anyway, because maybe <laughs> they will, they can get involved. We can, we can build a bit of a family and a team here. Uh, and if, you, if you've if got a story to tell, uh, please do get in touch by transplants transplantstakeonsport at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your stories, and I'd love to get as many people on this podcast as I possibly can from different backgrounds and different transplants, get as many experiences out there as we possibly can. Thank you once again to my guest today, Lynne Holt. I've been Lewis Daniels, and you've been listening to Transplants Take On Sport.
1: Right at home.
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See
1: site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden
2: Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs,
1: coming off your parents' plan.